0: This is a Hof Studios podcast. Emily Nolan, welcome to the Mom Curious podcast. It is such a pleasure to have you. Yes, thanks for having me. Um, You do have um, quite an impressive um, page online that I got to check out about um being an allergy mom and advocate and I would just love for you to introduce yourself and um let the listener know who you are etc.
1: Absolutely. <clears throat> so um my you know the last my last life which is prior to having children, right? I did all of these other um ventures and I modeled for a while. <clears throat> I had um some career in nutrition and in yoga, and I had this really fun, crazy yoga event called Topless Yoga. And, uh, it was I a bras on, bellies out. Yeah, yeah. It, it's actually, it would be super rad. Um, bras, bras on, on bellies, bellies out? out. What about bras self-confidence off? out? Self-confidence <laughs> event. Oh my gosh. If, but to be honest, if it was bras out, this is a great way to like grab people for this episode. <laughs> uh, it has no, nothing to do with this episode. But it's if it so was bras out, you, you, you count. Every mom listening to this would probably agree with me. After having children, there is no bras off unless you want your like boob in yoga, right? Like down dog, you don't want your boob like in your face, mm. like mm. it just doesn't sit the same way. Yeah, I, I mean, it never mine like... never
0: really sat anyway. I don't have, bo- <laughs> I don't we- I don't wear a bra, but I will say, um, f- I work out with a bra now, which is very different. Oh, I didn't you have to, to
1: You have to. Yeah. You have, to, you have to, especially if you're working out, because what happens is your Cooper's ligament stretches oh. and then your breast like gets, not to use the word floppy, because I don't think it's like sexy, but your breast gets like floppier. So like when you're like running postpartum, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. So it's good to like support your Cooper's ligament because there's no like retraining it to go back. And that's What's what holds Cooper? your breast tight. What's the
0: Cooper's ligament?
1: So I'm not a medical expert, but it's the ligament that keeps your breast like perky. And so like to wear a bra is actually quite supportive and Mm. it takes the stretching. It's like yoga, right? Like it takes the stretching out of the Cooper's ligament. So not that my breasts are perky by wearing a bra, but um, yeah, it helps, especially like I noticed when I was postpartum and I had milk coming in and it was just my breasts were like two bowling balls. Like, I had to double up my sports bra. So this is a great way to talk about food allergies. I mean, really, we really know
0: how to talk about all of it. But I need to go back to two sports bras. If I wore two sports bras when I was nursing, I would have no milk left. Just wanted to put that out there. Why? I don't know because they would
1: just get squished in. There was nothing there was like nothing coming out. So like You could like pull milk from like a liver or like your back muscle. <laughs> like it can come from weird places in your body. It doesn't <laughs> have to come from here. Great. Cool. Not I mean not gross. <laughs> you could probably at, like zero, blow it out of your nose or something. Zero grossness.
0: <laughs> um no.
1: who are you and what do you do? Why do you do guys? Okay. So new life, right? Um, yeah, yeah. motherhood. Not booth, social entrepreneurship. Not, not-
0: not topless yoga
1: anymore. No, no, no. Not, not anymore. anymore. Um, so I, at seven months, my son was diagnosed with life-threatening food allergies. He had anaphylaxis to peanut butter and egg. And mm. so it was really, uh, I talk more about like the story of the going through grief and experiencing that and how that wasn't part of my Pinterest board all at length on my podcast, Whole Body Health. And I also include it in my pediatric food allergy course called Fear to Freedom, which is on my website, emilynolan.com. And uh, so if you want to hear like the more in-depth story, or if this is something that you've gone through and, you know, don't want to feel alone and have some community, that's a great place to hear more. Um, So I ended up going through like 3 years of translational research and trying to understand you know I am not this is mama bear. I am mm. not going to let my kid go through life in fear mm. and afraid to eat every meal. And part of that was me. I mm. am not going to be afraid to give my kid a meal. And I love food, right? I I just Mm. love culture. I love food. That's how a lot of social well-being is built, uh, tradition is built. I'm not going to let this dictate the quality of life for my son
0: Mm.
1: and for our family. And so I just went on a war path and started, you know, we've been to 10 allergists. I started asking really tough questions, advocating for our, our son, Ollie, and Over the three years, I started asking myself questions like, there's got to be more. Because what allergists are doing is they're treating our children if they're willing to treat a child, because many of them just say abstain from the allergen, keep it out of their life. But what happens is the reactions can actually get worse. And so if you don't do something called oral immunotherapy, which is introducing the allergen with a board-certified allergist in an allergy office in a safe environment with epinephrine. Um Those types of micro introductions train your immune system to tolerate that allergen. Mm. So essentially what we're trying to do is get our kid to like a bite safe place where he's at, he can go to school now. Right. Cause I was like, I'm going to be a homeschool teacher for the rest of my life, which is nothing I ever imagined doing. Mm. But you know, as a mom, you would, lay your life down for your child. And so I was like, if that's what I never, you know, if that's what my life is, then I have to do it. And then I did it for a year and I was like, oh no, we, we got to find a better way. This is impossible to oh. homeschool a two
0: I mean, or three year old
1: torture. Oh, it's torture. It's like, he like,
0: doesn't even listen to me. No, he has I'm no your interest. Mother. Yeah. I have no interest in listening <laughs> to you. And, and it's just like too much. I we did, we did have a, a guest come on and talk about homeschooling and how much she enjoys it and advocates for it for people who enjoy it. So, but I, I relate to you and I think that there yeah. are, um, yeah, I think that there are a lot of different ways of, of doing all things, but let me tell yeah. you, I just don't have the skill mm. and also like, I, I love this person. I don't want to be frustrated with you mm-hmm. all the time. <laughs> like, right. you know, like right. teachers don't have, um, Yeah. The teachers are angels yeah. and I'm not one of them.
1: Yeah. And, you know, some parents just are cut out to do it. And, yeah. you know, as much as I could ascribe to like the mom martyr syndrome, mm-hmm. I can do this, you know, yeah, I just intuitively was like, mm, not for me. And, yeah, and I just really had to like, just erase judgment I even got off social media for eight months to try and figure out what is going on in my son's life. How do I feed him? Tune out the noise. I felt so much comparison because all of my girlfriends were feeding their kids whatever they wanted, going to any play date, going to any party. I would have to go to play dates. I remember there was a temple down the street. We went to this mommy and me play date, and there were all these toys everywhere, and all the kids just run around. And, you know, I was, I was the one with... um like soap and water wipes, wiping all the toys down, asking all the parents, hey, if your kid puts this in their mouth, could you put it in this basket? Not just for germs, but if they've had peanut butter before the play date, the the peanut butter could get on there. And my kid hasn't had oral immunotherapy yet and and explaining and advocating. So it was a squeaky wheel always. Mm. And I still am. Mm. I still am. I think it's super important as a parent that we are brave enough to advocate. And, you know, sometimes not to say you're like the bad guy but i think advocating is so important for your child especially when they have something life threatening i think advocating on. for
0: your child in general is so important i think it's just more apparent when it's life thre- life or death i mean yeah um i have 9 nephews and nieces 7 of them are nephews 7 of them are allergic to peanuts and, and uh, peanut butter and you know I'm, i come from an israeli home so there's this, there's this idea. <laughs> there's this idea like, oh, kids in Israel aren't uh, allergic to, um, peanuts because of the bamba, which is a snack, um, that they serve quite often in Israel. And I'm like, guys, I'm, you know, four of these kids are, you know, Israeli kids. Like, I don't think this is a thing. And I, I, I would love for you to just speak on, um, why you, why, why you think this is going on, that, that you're not alone, even though this is a, a lonely experience and it is a scary experience, certainly for the mother, hopefully not as much for the child. My first nephew is 15 years old yesterday and he's not afraid. He knows exactly what to eat and what not to eat. He's, but, um, why is this happening to our kids? And maybe can you touch on the Bamba myth? i got you yeah thank you. i got you
1: um the bomba thing it's not a myth and oh. and there's also other things at play so were your israeli nephews born in the united states they were yeah so likely they were born into a very sanitary environment they were getting bathed every day which when you bathe a child every day or a baby every day with soaps that strip away the lipid layer from the skin, you're creating dry skin and eczema, and food allergies are manifested or developed via skin contact first. So what's happening is the peanut is getting in through the skin lesions like eczema or dry skin, and instead of getting it into their gut first, there's more ratio of skin contact versus gut contact, and there, you know, there's a hygiene hypothesis going on where they're over sanitized. The gut bacteria isn't as strong as it used to be because of generational loss and the use of antibiotics, not just in our parents, but also our grandparents when they started using antibiotics. Um, and so all of this comes into play. And so likely what's going on is that they had skin contact over and over again, whether there's... um baby-led weaning, which is a philosophy or a type of feeding your child where, well, your child feeds themselves. And so we subscribed to that method when Ollie started eating solid food. We waited and followed, you know, oh, my kid didn't have eczema. He just had baby acne. And sometimes it's really hard to tell. If it's, re- it's actually very hard to tell if your kid has eczema, unless you're a doctor or a dermatologist and can you know, pinpoint what it is because babies always have something going on and, you know, like cradle cap and, you know, issues where you're like, well, that's normal, I think. Um, But, you know, we're over sanitizing these children and over bathing them and giving them um, dry skin. And then what's happening is we're not sealing their skin off with healthy skin barriers after we bathe them, right after we bathe them to protect them. So, we really have two barriers on our bodies. Our first barrier to keep the world out and the environment out is our skin. And so our skin has a microbiome and we have to keep that intact, right? Like we have to keep um, these lipid layers intact to keep things out, these invaders out, whether they're peanut butter or dog, right? Or cat or feather. And... Uh, or, you know, cashew or pistachio or whatever it is. And so it's all manifested by a skin contact, um, likely. Um, and so that's probably what was going on. And so even though they had bomba, maybe it wasn't introduced at four months? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. I just...
0: I had no idea about skin. You know, like, my daughter has dry skin and food sensitivities. They're not allergies their food sensitivities and I knew that about myself it's so funny I don't know I don't know what this bizarro disconnect is between like what I know about human beings adult human beings and what I know about small bodied human beings like what is that like I have this rash here and I'm like I know exactly what that is that's like candida that's whatever I know that it has to do with what I eat and my gut if I have some bone broth it goes away I never put it together that her skin and her digestion were in a dance together. And let me just tell you, I don't bathe them. I don't bathe them that much. (laughs) I just don't. I'm so glad that's okay. I'm like...
1: How old are they?
0: My daughter is three and my son is five and a half.
1: How old is your son? So they're... Ollie's four now, mm. so really, really the critical phase of like not bathing or bathing frequently, infrequently, or just spot treating certain areas, um, even like armpits and you know <laughs> genitalia, like those areas that you want to like freshen mm-hmm. up. Spot treating um, it's critical in the beginning of their life because they mm. have, if they go through the birth canal. Mm. Um, And make it out the other side, not via C-section, but via vaginal birth. Mm. They swallow all of the good bacteria, which gets flushed into their gut, creating this beautiful garden microbiome, essentially. It's like their first vaccine.
0: Mm.
1: It also goes on their skin. Mm. And the first thing that hospitals do when babies are born, what is it? They wash them. Not
0: my babies, but... Because uh, I just like it let them sure. sit in the yogurt. The vernix. <laughs> it's called vernix, yeah. yeah. I let yeah. them sit yeah. it for a few days. It looked weird. It was, it looked weird, yeah. but I knew it was important for them. I didn't actually know the yeah. details. And if you can explain, that would be awesome.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know this like zoomed out version of I wish somebody had told me. Yeah you know, that that is so important for the child to keep their skin um, just protected with that vernix. So they're suggesting that you even keep that vernix on for two weeks before you bathe your child. And when you do bathe your child, it's just like water and maybe a little soap, but really just spot treating. Because that soap, especially if it's one that bubbles up and is really fun and foamy and kid-friendly marketed to you right. like we get all this greenwashing going yeah. on um that starts to destroy that microbiome and that protective lipid layer in the skin and that's when those like i'm not saying it's foolproof right but i'm saying you can prevent you know the ratio of prevention is way higher when you can do these kind of intuitive things that we probably did Way back when, you know, I I don't believe our ancestors were bathing babies. As soon as they came out, they swaddled them, wiped them down. And so, you know, for the mom curious people, that is one thing that I would say. Keep that tip in your pocket. If you ever go into labor to um, if you don't have a C-section baby. Um, And I don't know what I would do with C-section baby. However, there is research and functional medicine doctors, some of them will say they would actually do this. It's called vaginal seeding. So what that is, is if you have a C-section baby, your child's already at a deficit in terms of um, likely they're going to develop, more likely develop allergies and asthma Um, because they didn't swallow the good bacteria going through the birth canal and have their skin washed with it. So what vaginal seeding is, and it's not FDA approved, um, but some functional medicine doctors say they would do it. They don't think there's any um, issue with it, but basically, you know, the doctor would take a swab of your like vaginal canal, the birth canal. And when the baby via C-section is born, they swab the inside of their mouth Mm -hmm. with that bacteria Mm -hmm. and then they start swallowing it. Mm -hmm. And so at least they get some bacteria of mama's bacteria in their mouth. um, And they don't know, maybe the mouth is actually killing the bacteria before they even swallow it. But they're saying, what, what's the harm, right? They were going to have that anyway. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, to introduce some bacteria would be better than none, maybe better than none. So there's that too. And that's something you could research if um, you're pregnant before you go into labor, like have a game plan. Mm-hmm. Like if I go into C-section, um, am I comfortable with vaginal seeding? Am I just going to. Um, it's so sad that we think you know. it's
0: not a comfortable and that it's hard to talk about. I'm just like witnessing us like squirming around vaginas and it's like, Oh, how did we get pregnant? How did most of the world get I don't know. here? Like, I mean, really this like magical canal of pleasure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we should just start calling it the magical canal, especially in labor. I think I would curse the magical canal. This canal is so not magical. Know, it's
0: not pleasurable at all. But,
1: yeah. but it's just, it's funny. It's like... <laughs> Well,
0: we've sanitized our bodies and we've also even sanitized our conversation. Like, mm. okay, you know, I, I was a C section baby, my brother, my sister, yep. my husband, his brother, his sister. Mm-hmm. Thank God for C sections, mm-hmm. you know? And like, gosh, if we could just embrace the ma- real, real, like real medicine, Of the vagina. (laughs) Right. If we could just talk about it openly, then maybe we'd have one leg up, you know, like maybe then the FDA would be able to talk about it openly and approve this method. That's clearly not going to harm a baby when they're born. Anyway, that's just my rant on how much I appreciate the female anatomy. I really. Yeah. It, it, it. Oh, yeah. And and without the fluids of the birth canal, right, you're saying, you know, we're putting we're putting people at, at, at risk for not being able to digest properly. Isn't that incredible yeah. how connected we are?
1: Oh, for sure. I just got back from Europe and any mama going to Europe is like, why can't we do this in the United States? Like mama's just sitting on the edge of Lake Como on the steps. Breast out, baby here, another mama next to her, just feeding their kids, normalizing being out in public and socializing after birth with the child. I remember I was, right, I was coming from a career of topless yoga. So I was the brave one, like, I don't care, you know? And in fact, I think it's kind of nice to be brave because it creates space for other mamas to feed their child. And if I heard a baby in public screaming to eat, and the mama was frantic, you know, and like needing to feed but doesn't have a place. I would go up to the mama and say, I'll sit down with you if you'd like to nurse your child
0: yeah. and
1: just be there in solidarity yeah. and, you know, to give them comfort that that's normal. But, you know, in, in the United States, and I'll, I'm gonna circle back to this because breastfeeding, while fed is best, if you can breastfeed, especially for the first six months it is so critical to developing um, a strong immune system for your child. And that's you're not getting those um, that bacteria and all of the nutrients in the formula that said formula is an amazing thing that we can give our children if we can't breastfeed. So no shame in that. It's just, you know, like sometimes we dock points off and then as moms, we have to figure out, okay, what's plan B, right? So if you can breastfeed, Even if it's breastfeed and formula and you're mixing, it's actually what's pretty cool is they're doing research on introduction of formula while you're breastfeeding. And they're saying many of those children with formula introduction that have dairy milk or some form of dairy protein in them um, aren't allergic to dairy because they're getting early introduction, which is tolerance training of that allergen at four months or before. And so they're developing a tolerance to that allergen. Now, what I will say is, um, and one thing I've discussed with Minolele from Lil Mixins, which is an early allergen introduction type of formula program, they're in little sachets and you mix it with real food, there's no additives or anything like that. Um, She was saying, you know, just, there's no downside to pretending or believing your kid is high risk. In fact, everyone should just assume their child is high risk for allergies and introduce allergens at month four, Mm -hmm. even with baby led weaning suggesting it's breast milk until month six, which is what I ascribe to. And then you introduce allergens by every other week. Right. So, you know, if a response comes out, all of that is old, throw it out. What's new is, you can introduce as many allergens as you want as early as you can. Yeah. Um, and yeah. the reason I like her product, Little Mixins, is you can mix it with, it's just the dehydrated powder of that allergen in the proper amount that the kid needs to get it in their gut. And um, you can mix it with their first avocado bite or their first sweet potato or whatever, applesauce, right, yogurt. Um, and you know, if your kid is showing signs of allergy at that young age, They've had less exposure via skin contact, so they're less likely to have anaphylaxis Uh and these extreme responses. You might see a few hives and notice, oh, he has an allergy. She um, is itching around the mouth like she has an allergy, um, and then get treatment from there. But the earlier, the better.
0: Yeah. I remember my son had always had like a sort of beard of red every time he'd eat tomatoes which he loved because actually when you're allergic to something it sends endorphins to your brain in order to like withstand the whatever irritation is going on he loved tomatoes so I just kept feeding it to him because I saw he wasn't uncomfortable he liked the taste but he definitely was mildly allergic to it and I think like yeah yeah and I just kept feeding it to him and he's he's doesn't have that um experience anymore. Now, that's anecdotal. <laughs> I would not suggest someone take this into their own hands, but that that was my experience with tomatoes. I had um I, I was on a text chain with, you know, a bunch of West Village mothers <laughs> um in New York City. And there was this really beautiful mom who texted us a photo of her child in anaphylaxis. She didn't he was he must have been six months old. She was pregnant with her second child. She's like, Does anyone know what this is? And mm-hmm. go to the hospital. She went straight to the hospital. Both yeah. of her children don't delay. Both of her children have life threatening allergies. Mm-hmm. And
1: even give her my number.
0: Yeah. Well, she actually um even through COVID has been taking um trips to the West Coast. Where I know, yeah. Well, tell me, Mm -hmm. tell me more about what I'm seeing just from a a sort of distant view. Um, she takes her kids, both kids, little, little, little bodies, these sweet babies Mm -hmm. who are now in school and live a totally awesome life. She would take them in the middle of COVID to this center where they would be introduced to these allergens little by little by little, just as you say, which was different than my nephew. One of my nephews, we would just give him a little bit of peanut butter at home. Now, I don't know why one is at home and one is going all the way to the West Coast, but the the common denominator from what I'm seeing is a little bit at a time so that they're safe, just like you say, after one bite. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Maybe you can like
0: expand expand on on what i'm noticing because i I don't have the yeah firsthand experience
1: in terms of treatment right Yeah. yeah yeah so there there are a lot of centers and there are also board certified allergists who do this it's called oral immunotherapy there's also something called sublingual immunotherapy um and i'll explain a little bit about it but first i'll talk about the the centers so on the west coast the largest centers there's two that are really popular. Um, the first one is Latitude Food Allergy Center. And that's, they have seven um, centers in California. And um, and they also just opened in New York City, oh, which is huge because now all of the East Coasters can go there. It's so amazing. Um, and then there's also another one on the West Coast called SoCal Food Allergy. Um, and that's kind of like the OG Food Allergy Center. Um, It's run a little bit differently than the other centers, but essentially everyone's doing the same thing. They're desensitizing the child to the food allergy um, or environmental allergy. Um, SoCal treats food and environmental, um, but mostly they treat environmentals to support the food allergy therapy because what's very complicated and I won't get into it because people are probably like, this podcast is like, what is going on? there are environmentals that trigger food allergies. Oh my so if there's a lot of pollen in the air at one time, you could be allergic to this apple or to apples. But then at other times of the year, you could tolerate apples. Um, you could have a latex allergy and a banana allergy because it's a cross-reactive protein. So it's really weird how things like that happen. Um, and so sometimes the centers will treat the um, the environmental and the food. They run panels, blood tests, all of that to figure it out. Um, Latitude is food allergy specific. And then I guess they would assume your hometown allergist would treat the environmentals with either allergy shots or something called sublingual immunotherapy, which is um, a path that we're on. We're going to try. We plan to try something called Zolaire. So Zolaire is a biologic and it's basically a shot you take. Um, Ollie's four and he's like 37 pounds so uh, he'll take it once a month and what this biologic does Zolaire and what they're seeing in terms of results for food allergic and and environmental allergic children right Ollie gets hives and anaphylaxis with tree pollen in the spring and we have to leave our house and we go down to Miami Beach for a month just to get away from the pollen. So he's out of school for like a month because it's so bad. Um, Which sounds great, right? Like, oh, a month in Miami Beach. How bad could it be? But it is such a stressor because it's financially stressful. It can be stressful because now I'm homeschool teacher for a month and I've got to find childcare because I'm also working. So anyway. It's stressful. Also, inherently
0: stressful because you're not going on a vacation. You're going... To make sure you're right on a trip, on a trip. Well, on a trip, yeah. but also you know, the, the reason why is because you're going to make sure your son is safe. Right. I mean, right. it's inherently, it's yeah, no fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, And I'm glad you have the yeah.
0: resources to make that happen. Not everyone does, and I, I think that uh, thank God you do. Yeah. Thank God you're so blessed. Thank and God, look at you, right. how you take that blessing and you're sharing it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been given a lot and I feel like if I can I I do believe that medicine should be something that we give freely and information should be given freely. So for that belief, I also I have a podcast that has all this free information. Um I have full scholarships for anybody who has a needs-based um need for the pediatric foodology course. It's 100% scholarship, no questions asked. Um, but what I was going to say is this biologic, this shot, turns off the IgE response, turns off the allergy response to any allergy. Wow! This could be peanut butter. It could be <sighs> pollen. It could be tomato, like anything, right? And it's effective. And they're seeing this. They're And what we're doing now and what we're seeing in these food allergy um, treatment centers is oftentimes they do the Zolair injections like once a month, or it depends on the weight and age of your baby or your child. Um, and then they do the tolerance training with it. So they're training the immune system in a safe environment because they know the body's not going to react with anaphylaxis. They can up the dosages really quickly. So they can get you through oral immunotherapy, which could take years for a child to get to a maintenance dose of like, you know, Ollie's eating nine peanuts a day now. Great. Right. He was like level five allergy for peanut. He still is, but he's still tolerating nine peanuts a day um, for cashews and eggs. Like he's crushing it. Um, but it's to basically speed up the program so that you don't have to invest all of this time into doctor's appointments. Your child's not living at the allergist's office for that period of time. Like, two or three years. It's a long time and it could become an identity for these kids, um, even for the mom. And it does often. So, um, the Zolaire speeds it up, makes it safer. And then what you can do is use it like baby gates and, you know, eventually uh, go with what your board certified allergist is saying, but you can back it off and like keep the allergens in the diet is what their goal is. Um, but now their your kid went through this whole thing in seven months instead of three years. Mm. Um, without any reaction and so what we're testing out and I, I don't believe Ollie is a guinea pig by any stretch but his allergist is um approving Zolair, and we're starting in December mm. and keeping mm. it in his body so that come spring the pollen he doesn't have any allergies and he can stay in his farm school oh so, school that's awesome I was crying yesterday wow. like you know, I was like, what are the contraindications? I want to know how this affects the microbiome. What's the long-term damage we're doing? And then I thought, you know what? There are some medicines that just give you the quality of life that really improve your quality of life. And I believe, and I'm not making a statement here. I may believe, you know, like that this drug, this, this injection, can give my kid the quality of life um to just be normal again. In fact, he might even be able to eat a peanut butter sandwich. Oh my god, can you imagine? You know, no. And and really for us, we just want to travel. We want to go to Asia and not have a language barrier that even though I tell them my kid has food allergies that are life-threatening, but there's still a language barrier like we don't understand, you know, that it's life-threatening because in Asia the food allergies they're different. Like in the U S we have top nine, but in Asia, there's like six, right. That are like soy and dairy and fish and things like that, because that's what's in their diet and on their hands when they're touching Uh-oh. their babies. Wow. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. I have, I have a, a big question, um, which is, you know, you're doing all of this for your child
1: What are you doing for you? Great. Big question. Yeah. Great. Big question. This is for me. And I, the last module of my pediatric food allergy course is restoring yourself and your identity Mm -hmm. as the caregiver. So it's care for caregiver. And that's a whole section that I have dedicated to that caregiver, um, in my, on my blog, in my course. And, um, on my podcast, you know, a lot of these moms. I interviewed 992 food allergy families. Wow! And of of that group, 75 percent of the moms, 75 percent of the moms of that group, um, took a huge pay cut mm-hmm. so that they could take care of their kids' health, mm-hmm. or had to quit working completely. Mm-hmm. Which most moms, when they have children, I know that. Like, I don't know the ratio of moms that just stop working when they have children to begin with, but in this case of food allergy families, they stopped working to take care of their kids' food allergy, which was my case as well. So once you get it stabilized in a sense where, okay, we're in a routine, maybe he's not healed yet, but we're going for updosing or we're on a nice treatment protocol and, you know, we're in like a more normal life. It's not so new and fresh. Then you could start restoring yourself and your identity. And for me, one of the things I did, I ended up um, getting um, somebody to come help us, like a babysitter, um, which I felt like was such a such a big deal because oh, I'm available, I'm not doing anything, and I just feel so bad, and I don't have anything to do really. Maybe I'll go shopping. I don't know. And I got a babysitter, and then. Uh, behind my husband's back I went and I booked a office space at a like a shared office space at a co-working facility that's two blocks away from our house and I said I don't know what I'm going to do but I'm going to get dressed up and I'm going to go there and I'm just going to start working going to be a grown up and I'm going to be a grown ass woman I'm going to be a grown ass woman <laughs> and I, I walked to my office and that was A year and a half ago and from that moment to this day I have filmed an entire pediatric food allergy course and launched an entire new brand and website I have launched a podcast to go with it and and so I have these two huge projects that manifested and were born because I believed that I was worth you know worth it right like just I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm just going to go out there. And I'm not saying you have to get an office space. You can go to a coffee shop. Totally. But for me, I'm kind of like, put your money where your mouth is. And I could do Pilates at home for $20, but I pay for the class because I know I'm going to stay for the mm-hmm. hour.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. So that's, that's my personality. And so, you know, that's what I did for myself. And I love this stuff. I love, I mean, the reason I created this course is it's because it's the course I prayed for when Ollie was diagnosed. We had sleep training courses. We had food, you know, how to introduce food. We had oral like speech therapy and we had all these mom courses, but we didn't have one guiding us through food allergies and, and one from a mama, you know, like it was all information from, which is great, but it was like science driven, and a little bit confusing or not applicable. It's
0: just so overwhelming. And like you have a little person in your care, like how Mm -hmm. are you supposed to sift through all of this information and keep your cool? I mean, the other thing I, I like wonder is, you know, when you're giving a child food, they could refuse it at any moment. How do we keep our nervous systems whole, intact, calm? While you're like, no, literally I need to give you this medicine, right? Like medicine yeah. is hard to give a child, right? They, we all know like yeah. we're like squirting this thing in a kid's mouth. You're like, no, but really we need the fever down or whatever it is. Every single day you have to work towards those nine peanuts and you have to do it in a way where you're not, where, where he feels safe and loved and cared for and heard. And how do we do that when you're not, how do we do that if you're freaked out?
1: I have so many resources for that, mm. Mama. So, and I'll probably have to put pins in all of these resources and come back to them because there's so much there. We'll, we'll link, so first we'll thing,
0: link um, wh- whatever you send us.
1: Sure. First thing, I'm a big believer in Bessel van der Kolk's work where the body keeps yeah. the score. Trauma happens even in a five-month-old, six-month-old, seven-month-old, nine-month-old, one-year-old child who has anaphylaxis that is still in that child's body, that trauma. And so part of the work that I do is bringing complementary care to light. And so we do acupressure for children. I, I bring all types of resources um, to help lower physiological stress levels um, in the child um, who has experienced trauma, whether like food allergy trauma, right? Which is trauma, including the mama. So food I actually trauma. went to acu- acupuncture with my son. Yeah. Oh. I got acupuncture. And so I'm lowering my physiological stress level. Now I have two podcast episodes. One is a well-trained emergency mindset where I interview an EMT and an ISR instructor. It's an infant swim resource instructor. And I talk to her, she's also a firefighter. And I talked to her about how do you stay cool in an emergency so that you can keep your heart rate down and so that your child can mimic you? Because what we're seeing is in a food allergy response, if you can lower the heart rate, you can lessen, you may lessen the response. If you increase the heart rate, whether it's freaking out, panicking, running around, ah, itchy mouth, ah, you know, which is understandable. What, which
0: is understandable. It's not helpful. And totally normal. It makes a lot of sense definitely not yep. going to bring you closer to yeah. the freedom
1: from the fear, but also right. human. <laughs> totally. And the normal response, right? Like, But if you practice and train yourself and have confidence that Oh, science has told me I can think more clearly when I stay calm. And when you can think clearly, you can think of options. You can communicate better with the emergency response team, with your partner. Um, I need epinephrine now. Go get it. It's in the top cabinet above the microwave. Um, you know, staying calm can help the child and yourself in so many ways. It's so much more beneficial. So we have those resources. I also offer um, a resource from my favorite yoga instructor, one of my favorites, Tara Styles, yeah. And the episode is called Softening. <laughs> Excuse me. It talks about um, being able to soften yourself and relax in the day-to-day moments and practice that so that it is more of a response when they're be- they're has more anxious moments in your life or, you know, stressful moments that you can practice. Oh, my breath is right there. You know, just simple, right. Or just moving from the middle and just Mm -hmm. ease and softening. And, you know, we are mamas and we're always in fight or flight, but just to be brave enough to soften, especially in a time when culture says, you should be anxious all the time. You should have your EpiPen on you all the time. And you should, you know, never feed that kid peanuts. And you know, like, it's. Like, I have my EpiPen. <sighs> I know how to use it. Mm. We're good. We're safe. And so we offer these lowering physiological stress levels, which also impact the microbiome. We're seeing so much more benefit in the children's microbiome in their immune systems feeling safe, feeling less stress. Um, so that's an option. Um, and I know I have like a million more right, options. So share that it, share I it like, with us and we'll, you know, we'll, yeah, we'll be yeah, there.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. it's so important. I think for for um, for parents, caregivers in general, it's such an important reminder that like um, little nervous systems can't regulate against a dysregulated system, you know, that we, we, uh, set the tone and that is hard to do when we're afraid. And it makes sense that we're afraid, uh, in fear, fearful situations. And so the first step is to hold compassion for ourselves, but also to, to seek out the guidance, you know, the fact that you, you created the guidance system you needed. How amazing is that? How incredible that like not only is it that Ollie gets to go to school, but you get to go was it Italy? Where did you go?
1: For two weeks. Wow. Yeah. I had my emergency action plan ready. My mom had the legal caregiver documents to bring to school that said, I'm in charge of Oliver. And you know, I I had signed off on it. We had and the pediatric food allergy course gives you all of these documents. I just wanted to take everything off the plate of that mama who's like overwhelmed and anxious and say, here it is. Come back to this anytime you need it and it's available to you. Um, and let me just make it easy for you because I I had to give up three and a half years of my life for this. But was it training in the end?
0: You gave it up. You surrendered to that experience. You read all the books. You had hands on uh learning with your child I mean and now you're sharing it so what was it really giving up I don't know
1: Well I think in this case it's more of a social entrepreneurship venture and purpose turning pain to purpose and me being able to connect with other moms which is my favorite thing to do is communicating and building relationships um but I do think that not every mom in, in the same case that we're not cut out for homeschooling not every mom is going to want to like give up her job or especially if it's something she loves right or her an identity that she enjoys being after she drops her kid off at daycare or preschool or whatever even at grandma's right like was what what i did when we were in italy i um, love grandma
0: go grandma. grandma
1: grandma's are the best we we moved a block away to be a block away from my grandma yeah from my mom That's um right. so that she be a part of Ollie's life, and so we could get the extra support we needed. Um, yeah, um, it's
0: uh, you, it's what were you gonna say? You were gonna say something,
1: no, I mean, it's just you know, it, it's everything, right? It's pain to purpose, if you want to be cliche about it, but it's um, for me, I love health and wellness, I was in health and wellness in my prior life, right? Um, and talked about body positivity, and so I'm really just transferring those skills and advocacy of, of um, radical acceptance of your body into something more, you know, broader. Food allergies, radically accepting. This is the diagnosis. Okay, now how do I deal with this? And you know, how do we, how do we integrate protocol and safety procedures into our life to protect our family and to help with therapy? And so it's applying the same skill set and. I'm just loving it. I'm loving it. So I I got lucky. And hopefully every other mama gets to keep the job that they love or find a job that they love because this creates space and time for them.
0: Amen. And hopefully we could take two weeks in Italy knowing that our little ones are cared for, safe, happy, and that our bodies and our minds and our relationships and our life mean something. Yeah. Is important mm-hmm. actually, because how much more um, available were you on the end, the other end of that experience?
1: That's a good question. Um, I talk about that in my episode with Hillary Toll Carter, who's also a food allergy mama, and I said, "Oh my gosh, I forgot I had a husband." Yep. Right. Yep. I for I mean I knew it right, but after three years of being full time caregiver to a child who is really medically codependent and you are just spearheading all the therapy and you're making those appointments every other twice a week or however often you're there and you're the one driving. And it's like, Oh my gosh, what about this relationship? Like there's many relationships going on in this house and we love our child, but we also love each other. And that was really important. Um, very important and Hillary and I talked about it in the episode and how um we both have seen she she talks about seeing a therapist I don't know if she does it with her husband but my husband and I see um a positive psychologist life coach and we talk about um we haven't since Italy Mm -hmm. but um we we try and make it a habit um of just checking in with each other and um and it's been so helpful. Mm -hmm
0: again that support Uh, you know i have like a when i in my 20s i did the 12 steps for eating uh, disordered eating and the first step is just admitting that there's an issue right so that that radical acceptance Mm -hmm. but you know step two i think is getting support relying on either a power greater than yourself but also that power can be grandma (laughs) <laughs> a, a friend, etc. but we need support. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so grateful that you're offering the support that these food allergy mamas need very, very badly. And um, I was wondering if you could tell us where we can find more of you. I know we're going to do some links in, um, in the show notes of this episode, but there's clearly more where this came from. Um, and I know people will want yeah, to follow up. Well-
1: you can find me right now in my sound booth in the office that I started paying for despite my husband's concern for me going and getting a private office, but look what I've created because of it. So uh, anyway, yeah, so you can find me on emilynolan.com. All of my podcasts are housed there. If they're, they're on all the platforms as well for Whole Body Health with Emily Nolan. My pediatric food allergy course entitled Fear to Freedom is on the website. Um, it's very easy to find. And I also have a pediatric essentials resource, food allergy essentials resource at the bottom of the website. If you're not ready to fully commit to the food allergy course, I have an essentials package with it's, it's Full of all the stuff you need from the get-go when your kid is diagnosed with food allergies. I sp- uh, specialize in children four months to four years old, really on the front end of food allergies to hopefully help that mama with therapy and training, tolerance training, um, to get their kid into a place where they are bite safe is what is something I would love to see. I know some food allergies, um, less common food allergies, you can't do those tolerance trainings, but children may grow out of those types of allergies. And they're also not life-threatening. Um, some of those like EOE, which is eosinophilic esophagitis is something it took me years to understand. Um, F-Pies, EGID, just different acronyms of different types of um, allergies. So anyway, um, emilynolan.com and my Instagram is I am Emily Nolan. So pretty simple. Yeah. Um- and I'd love to hear Yeah, that.
0: I, I'm wondering what your hope for whoever's going to reach out to you. Like, what, what is your vision for this, this one person? Even if it's just one person who's listening to this podcast yeah. all the way through, um, what might you tell her yeah. or him? I
1: oh, don't be afraid. I think my biggest fear of if I were to ever have a second kid is that they would have food allergies and I couldn't handle it. And for the mom curious, there are so many things you can do, and we know of doing to prevent food allergies. And, you know, I survived. My child survived. We learned a lot. And in fact, it was a silver lining learning how to advocate for him at such a young age. Um, it was very hard. You are not alone. And if it's not food allergies, it's something else, not to scare you away from, you know, being a mother, but it's something else. And so just go with the flow, roll with the punches, focus on positive psychology, get support and help before it's an issue. Um, And, you know, use resources and find resources like the pediatric food allergy course, like sleep training, like, you know, anything that you can that makes it easy for you. Um, Just, you know do it and tune out the noise and that would be my hope is that you're not afraid to pursue motherhood but that motherhood would be a choice um that a brave choice that you would make um because you're not afraid <laughs> because you can handle it thank you so much thank you